Rare Together is all about bringing together people from across the world to unite them in what makes them unique, being rare together. But that means that a lot of our participants are dialing in from different countries and with variable internet connections. So occasionally, the audio quality might drop a little in this episode. If that happens, we do apologize in advance, but rest assured that anything you need to know, you'll find in the episode description. Hello once again, and uh, welcome to Rare Together. This is a regular podcast series from LDA Research that explores the real experiences of people living with rare diseases. I'm your host, Andrew Grant, and today we're doing something a little bit different. Now, we all know that rare diseases don't just affect the people suffering from them. They also have a wider impact on their family and friends. And our two guests today are in that category because they both care for others who do have rare diseases. So I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion from a different viewpoint. So let me introduce them. Firstly, we have Candice from Fairview, which is just outside Dallas in Texas. Hello, Candice. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks very much for joining us. And then we have Anna Mai, who lives in Henley-on-Thames here in the UK. Hi, Anna Mai. How are you today? Hi, everyone. Thanks. Sun's shining. <laughs> yeah, that's always a good thing here in the UK, you're right. Well, welcome both of you. Uh, it's very much appreciated, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. So firstly, I'd like to find out a little bit more about each one of you. Let me start with you, Candice. Can you tell me, uh, firstly, a little bit about yourself, um, and uh, then tell me who it is that you care for, and what condition they're suffering from, please? Sure. Um, so my name is Candice. Um, I am from Texas. Um, been there all my life. <laughs> um, I have two children. I've been married for, you have to forgive me, I think it's 17 years. I'm not nervous. Sure. <laughs> I'm really bad at that. Um, but I have two children. I, <laughs> I have a daughter that's 11. She's my oldest. And then I have my youngest who's seven. Her name is Natalie. Um, Natalie is my cask uh, warrior. So she suffers from a condition that's related to the cask gene mutation. Um, we just recently found out this condition through a genetic test in January of this year. So um, it's been always, you know, a difficult path for, you know, caring for her. And that's Natalie on the screen. <laughs> um, but oh, um, <laughs> she, uh, she definitely um, is a star in our eyes and we really love her. Um, I, I'm not too much familiar with the entire genetic sequence. Sequels and genomes or whatever of what is happening or what has happened, but it was pathogenic. I know that. Um, it comes with a variety of many things. She has intellectual disabilities. She is microcephalic. Um, she has scoliosis. She has like eye ocular issues, strabismus issues, um, and she's nonverbal, uh, autistic. <laughs> so. Um, but it, I think it's been categorized in the MIC, like microcephalic CPH category. So she's got um, a small cerebellum pontine. I, I'm honestly not 100% sure, <laughs> but that's her condition. So well, I'm diagnosed in January. I'm sure you're still learning a lot about it. I am. That's, uh, that, that, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Thank you. That's a great uh, intro. Thanks, mm -hmm. Candice. And Adam, I please, uh, please explain. tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us who you care for and um, what uh, what their problem is. Everyone, um, I am Anamai. 
And I'm from the UK. Um, nice to have sunny weather today. I care for Amber, who's only just turned four. Um, Amber has a very ultra rare disease um, called MORC2 related disorder. It's also commonly known as the MT2Z or Big Fan. Typically, this is quite common that you might have a few names for such conditions. Um, so, yeah, we were lucky to get a diagnosis. Uh, a year ago, because we are the second, only the second case in the UK. And so there's only, I think, less than 20 globally currently. So definitely rare. Wow. Yeah. Understood. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Fairly recent diagnosis within the last sort of 12 months. So, um, but I'm guessing having spoken to other people with rare diseases, that the road to that diagnosis was probably fairly long. Is it, was that true for you, Anna Yeah, I mean, they talk a lot about the diagnostic odyssey and, like, I think that's, I'm sure Candice can empathise with the, the not knowing and um, it, it, it just, because it's so ultra-rare, it doesn't present like anything else. So I had quite a long period of being told um, that it was sort of, my anxiety or uh, I was sort of making things up. Uh, so it was quite a hard fight to to get people to listen and to advocate for my daughter because I think as a mom, like I knew there wasn't something, something wasn't right. Um, and then obviously her symptoms worsened um, and we went through, you know, a lot of invasive procedures um, and uh yeah nobody wants to put a two-year-old for an emg i can tell you that you know it's really really awful um but all of that led to uh a diagnosis and i think um so for me and i and i would say this to anyone who's going through this it's really important to try and get that because um even though it doesn't come with well or any answers though in our case you know it was like oh wow this is so rad it's like okay still it gives you the basis for the future for for change and for advocacy and for learning and you know where to start so i think for me that was really difficult and really hard but really hopeful. Mm. i i have okay. to agree i i was um i was at her doctor um we honestly didn't even think it was anything rare when we did the genetic test. And the only reason why we did the genetic test is because she had come up with scoliosis at seven or even younger than at six. And that's kind of ultra rare to have someone with scoliosis at such a young age. So she went through um, Scottish Rite, which is the hospital that she's here in Dallas visiting or with all her treatment from. And they came back with the paper and it was literally a, something they printed off the internet and said like, We've never, you know, we've come across maybe one other case like yours ever. And I think there's only like 300 people globally who have this. And um, it was just something I, I even went and found their, their document online. And I was happy to have the diagnosis. Um, but then from there, it's like, now I'm a trailblazer, you know? And I searched and searched for anything. Like I went on all social media trying to find any support group. And I did find one. I really, really am happy I found it. Um, but like to find everybody around the world 
and, you know, seeing everybody, these pictures of these children all looking just like with Natalie and it, it's good and comforting, but it's definitely been a journey <laughs> for sure. Yeah, right. I, I, that, this is what every insult me about rare diseases. That's um, the, 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 as you said, they used the word odyssey there, Anamai, which I thought was uh, very apt. Um, so, I mean, you know, how long in each case were, were you, you know, when did you first suspect that something was wrong? How long ago, Candice? And um, up until January. So, so how long, how, how long did you have to wait, kind of thing? So, I actually had, um, she had a, a, I guess, an abnormal pregnancy, actually. Um, it, and during pregnancy, she had a small head. And I went to a perinatal specialist. And they, really, they, they weren't concerned. You know, they were just like, she's, she's got a small head. But, you know, all children develop differently. And throughout her, you know, infant years and whatnot, she missed milestones. But, you know, children are going to develop differently. And you just like never really thought that it was a rare disease because it mimics so much of other things. Like I just thought she had a severe case of autism, but she had microcephaly with it. And she was actually born around the time of the Zika virus being a big hot issue. So I kind of thought I was infected with Zika. Like I got bit by a mosquito. Um, so you know, it, it wasn't like anything at first. I, I was really, really concerned. I didn't want to, you know, think that my child was not going to be like normal children. And I cried my tears and I said, well, you know what though? I've been given this child. She's mine and I will do my best to be her mom. And, you know, we went through all the therapies. Uh, she's a speech therapist, you know, occupational therapist, physical therapist. And, you know, I, I sort of just relented like this is, you know, my child and I love her and I'm going to care for her no matter what happens to her in the future. She, you know, is just like any other normal child. But at the same time, now that I know I have this condition and that there's other things I have to watch for, they have epilepsy seizures that develop around her age, actually seven to 10. Um, they have G tubes. Some of them have gastrointestinal issues. And it's all these new things that I have to like watch for because of this particular brain disease that she has. So it's, it's quite eye opening. Um, but it, that's been a journey for me. It, it just all started from the beginning and it just in January came to this is what it is. <laughs> okay. As you say, which, which, which was great to hear, at least something specific. So, and, and mm -hmm. how long was your Odyssey? Um, you know, all those things that you went through, how how long did that all that take? Um, two and a half years, nearly three, I guess. Um, we had issues, um, I guess, like Candice was saying, things didn't really add up from from birth. Um, and then maybe about one, we started getting really concerned. Um, we had a lot of false diagnoses as well, so we went for a lot of tests. Um including life-threatening diseases. So it was a very, um, terrifying period. You know, if you're talking about like Googling, Google is not your friend when you, you don't know what's wrong with your child and they have a health condition, you know, and you don't have an answer. So you look because you're a mom, you, you know, you're a parent, you just look for an answer. And all you do is you look for an answer. And that's, and that's something that you just keep doing and you don't sleep. And you, you don't eat. I mean, you know, and, and I, I mean, 
the year before, I, I just used to just spend my time just trying to find answers to the questions and uh, like various really, really big procedures. You know, Amber's had four general anesthetics. Like it's, it's scary putting your child, you know, you don't know what's wrong with your child and then they put them to sleep. <laughs> Are they going to wake up? Um, you go for a heart scan, you think, are they going to tell me, you know, she's not going to be able to live, um, you know, the weight of a brain scan, the result of a brain scan, I, there is like, there were no words to explain how that feels. Um, and because you don't have a diagnosis, you, you have no support. So like, if it was cancer, someone would be there <laughs> Your, ha- your child has cancer. I'm going to really help you. But, you know, I had no support network. It was in COVID. I was, you know, me and my husband, we were, we were just on our own, really, just, just going through it. Um, you said something earlier on. You said that um, during the course of that uh, process, on occasion, some healthcare professionals said, oh, it, it's all down to your anxiety. Um, but you said you kept on fighting. So, 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 so when they said that, did you ever kind of doubt yourself or doubt your conviction that there was something wrong with your daughter? I, I never doubted there was something wrong. I think you, you want to believe that, um, your child is healthy and, you know, and that you know, they're not going to be impacted by something that could cause them pain. Um, it's, you know, it's not that I couldn't, you know, live with, different symptoms or it was just the, the fear of A, losing them or, or B, them um, living in, in some kind of painful situation and uh, rehabilitating and, and the fear of the future, you know, you have no idea what it's going to look like. And, and I think even when you talk about support groups, um, in the case of multi-emulated disorder, the spectrum is so huge that you can't look across it and think, oh, where do I... I don't know where I sit. It wasn't like that for me that I saw other children. I thought, oh, they look, you know, they just present like Amber because nobody did. So I thought, oh, no. you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what, are, are they like this child? Or are they going to be like this child? Or are they going to grow up to be like this or this? And then, you know, the mind plays the games of like speculating, like what we're going to have to cope with. And I think that's when you have to bring yourself back to like today, this is what I can do can control x and so that helped me a lot like in terms of um okay. don't forget who you are because not everybody has the answers in rare disease so you need that okay and you you can't be mm-hmm. afraid to chat people even the, the cleverest of people you know even the, the neurologists who are very very smart and it's hard because i don't have a medical degree so mm-hmm. i don't feel like i've done what was in the last year but right now i understand I heard other people saying that as well. Sometimes yeah. it's about educating well, healthcare professionals. Really hard, yeah. More experience of the disease than they do, ironically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let, let's change the subject a little bit. So, so Candice, tell me how um, Natalie's condition has affected your life and the life of your family. What what, what has been the impact? So, um, it's from every aspect, honestly. Like. Steve controls a lot of anything and everything that we do. I just being on this vacation here, um, you know, we have all this stuff going on. We're hiking, going, you know, up and down the mountain and going to, you know, places that you would think 
a child would love to go to. And just like, you know, I would, I'm treating her like she's like a normal child, but I get her into that environment and it's like, no, don't go there. It's completely routine breaking. It is, um, anomaly for her. She just does not like, like being in crowds. It, it, it's very much mimics like someone with, you know, an autistic spectrum disorder, which she does have, but there's so much of not just, you know, um, the routine that you have to follow um for her she she just sort of dictates everything that we do um and we have to think about her needs first and foremost before we decide we're gonna do anything um she um has uh you know a lot of like certain therapists that she sees that you know she has to um learn to I guess breach in branch into other things and they help her with that, you know, at school. She just goes to a typical public school. Um, but those are part of her routines. And then, you know, now we're out of school, we're in summer break and that's not there anymore. And it's like, okay, <laughs> now I have to change everything for the mindset for the next two and a half months until I can get her back into her routine. So every aspect of like, our lives have to revolve around like her needs first and foremost, only because if we, you know, aren't prepared for it, she'll have meltdowns in public, um, you know, or, you know, she um, obviously, um, you know, has to have special like uh, dietary things, I guess, because she's, she, she doesn't feed herself. I have to feed her wherever I go, I have to make sure she, I'm still feeding her and she's seven years old because she, they, she can't pick up a fork. So I have to make sure that I have all of that prepared. Like I'm still caring for a baby in a way. And, and I love it, you know, but it's at the same time, you know, like, is, do I really desire to go and do that right now and have that kind of outing? And I do. So I try to, you know, make it as normal as I can. And how has it affected your older daughter? So she's um, learning to be a lot more mature than, you know, I think an 11-year-old should be. She has um, somewhat of a mom spirit. Um, She'll kind of, well, I work from home. And right now, being that they're both off for school, um, she'll take kind of charge of like, we're still potty training Natalie. So she still has a pull-up. So she'll kind of take charge of like, hey, I needed to go change my sister. (laughs) And um, she does that, you know, very well. So she has like, you know, that mom spirit. But I can tell it drains on her a little bit because she still wants to go and play her video games and have her, you know, time with her her friends. And, um, you know, I, I guess sometimes I take advantage of her in a way that, you know, I probably should be like, no, let me have, let her have her child with it. But she, she's a good, a good trooper. So and I think she realizes that Natalie is going to be a big part of her life, probably for the rest of her life. So. Okay. That sounds very mature for an 11 year old. That's very impressive. If you or someone you know is affected by a rare disease diagnosis, I'd like to take a moment to point you in the direction of the Rare Disease Network. It's a private support group on Facebook 
where we bring together people with all sorts of rare diseases from all over the world. You'll find exclusive research and insight. You'll get the chance to ask your questions to leading medical professionals. And you'll hear some engaging and inspirational stories from our growing community. There's a link to the group in the episode note below. We'd love to see you there. Um, same question to you, Anamai. How, how, you know, how has the uh, condition affected family life and other people around you? Um, I mean, it. I mean, all the things that Candy said. I think it cre- it creates or it, it forces you to be really creative um, and see things differently. So it can surprise you, like the amount of um, compassion that you know, my son, he's only six, and the amount of, of love that he has for his sister, it will like um, shock me in a way that I just, I don't know what to, it's just such raw love. And like, he'll think of the games to play, like we have his physio ball, my daughter can't walk. So, you know, like you were saying, everything we have to help with, obviously from she has a frame or she has sticks and we have to help. We do daily physio, we do exercises three times a day. She's on uh, medication to help her tremors because otherwise she she gets really, really shaky. And so her, her brother will say, you know, oh, Amber's shaky, you know, she needs medication or Amber's, um, you know, if she falls over, which I'm, quite often she has a balance, she has a taxia, so. Uh, he'll, he'll scream for my help. He'll, 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 he understands. He has this deep empathy. Um, but yet doesn't treat her really any, any different, to be honest. Like he just does different games and he'll push her more than anyone else. So like he, they have a bond that I, I just never, I just never knew, you know, and it's been amazing. But, but yeah, it impacts him again. He's, he's a, a sibling carer. He, he needs to be relied upon for lots of things like can you go and fetch this can you do this can you get sticks I can't can you you know yesterday we we're doing physio practice and he's videoing her because I'm like I need to check if she's improving and my husband's not there so I'm like I need to video her and we're like so we did all these rounds and he's like holding the video and um but yeah I think it, it creates really strong kids but at the same time you need to counteract all the things you know like that they're forced to grow up quickly and take on caring roles that at six you shouldn't you shouldn't have to do you know um so i'm always conscious of that that balance like how do i make sure that he's okay as well because it's had a huge impact on him on all of us my husband on me yeah on the whole family. Mm-hmm. and friendships and my friends mm-hmm. they don't know how to cope with it and they don't know what to say and they don't know how to be of help and and and, and right you don't have all the answers because you're also trying to figure it out and then other people look to you to like mm-hmm. you know, do you want pity? Do you want help? Do you want support? Do you want me to be upbeat today? And so, so like, <laughs> constant emotional roller coaster yeah. through together. And I just say to my friends, I'm like, most of the time I'm like really positive. I like to try and remain super positive. And then I just go like, oh, I can't take any more. Have a textual meltdown. And then it's like. So I was just going to ask um, about other people. And apart from yourself, your husband, do you have anybody else who can kind of offer response support in any way, or is it just the three of you, or the four of you, sorry, coping together? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I lost my dad, who's, you know, my sort of mental, uh, the, the year I was born. So that was really tough on, on my family. Um, my 
my um, obviously my mom was grieving her her partner, you know, her whole life since she was eighteen. So um, she was grieving. I, I was grieving. Um, and yeah, my siblings are international. So my my sisters in New Zealand and my brothers from America. So <laughs> yeah, so not a lot of close family. I think I created my own support network. Um, I have some really incredible friends who, you know, went two o'clock in the morning when I had to drop off my son because I had to get out of the hospital. They would just come around and you know they're like they're your lifeline, and then you create these networks. Um, and yeah. Even though people are distant, you know, my co my sister's amazing. They've helped set up the foundation for Amber. I thought more cure for everyone else who is going to be finding out about this, this condition and, and having no information. So they're like working away in the scenes, like setting up a medical advisory board. And so, yeah, big shout out to them for being, you know, like rock stars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you, Candace. You were, you were going to say something about it. So oh, I was just. Absolutely agreeing with her on like the concepts that she was saying prior to the question on how um, so much of like the family dynamic and everything is changing. Um, and I also have a big support here for Natalie. I mean, it's it's me, my my husband, and my oldest daughter. But my parents are a huge, huge factor in our in my do- uh, Natalie's life. They they care for her when I'm we're working um and then we have a big church group as well that helps out a lot so um i uh have a member in my church that has a child with down syndrome so they really empathize um seeing natalie and um it's it's so good to see that you know that kind of support exists as well for others so and even you know if you can't create it like through community to start it on yourself, like Anna Mai is doing, that's that's really wonderful. Mm, yeah, understood, understood. I can see that. Um, I want to talk for a second about support groups. I know we touched on support groups before, but um, how? I think you seem to have slightly slightly different experiences of them. Um, Candice, you said that uh, you know it was fantastic to to find them, and they have been very supportive. But I think you said Anna Mai that um, although you were glad to find it, that there wasn't an easy way of kind of categorizing your your daughter's condition compared to other people so it's been a slightly different experience i think um just i'll start with you candace so so what has the um, support group given you what what benefits has the support group given you so um i've found the support group actually has connections with um people who want to do research for the disease um and i do believe that there was actually I, again, it's all medical terms. I'm not really quite sure, but there was a study for it done recently, and that was published on the the Facebook group. I, it's actually kind of confidential, so I really don't know if I should talk too much about it. But um, it's very hopeful um, to see that there is um, people out there who want us to complete like those surveys on the Nord website and get all of that information put out there so they could do the research for the the condition um and that facebook page i found has a lot of that content um as well as um just seeing the people all over the the world um you know there's families from the uk there's families from um australia uh, brazil uh, united states and in fact i met um 
a little girl with the same condition 45 minutes away from where I live. And she was, yeah, she was just completely like, I can't believe I found someone so close. And she's like the, the closest person at the time before we met to her was like in Houston, which was right. five hours away. So it, it's, you know, not as ultra rare, um, but it's still very rare. And defines that, that, you know, we're all connecting in, in ways and, and learning how people are dealing with like certain things. Like I have a concern right now. My daughter might have sleep apnea. Um, she snores like an old man when she's asleep and gasps for air. And so I asked, you know, or I've been looking at the Facebook group and I find that this is something very common among these children. And so a lot of them get this kind of, you know, surgery taken the consoles and adenoids out to, you know, correct that or whatever. And that's really good for me to kind of see like what others have done. So, um, and then also be that support because, um, I have my child's a little older than the one that lives close to me, um, who's three only. So to have, you know, her to say, Hey, what is, what is Natalie done? What have, you know, how's Natalie faring here? I, I could give that feedback. Right. Okay. So it's, so it's that important as well to be able to, uh, uh, you know, to feedback as well as to kind of take, take advice. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. that's interesting. What about you, Anima? It sounded like you had a slightly different experience because, um, uh, yes, as, as I said, you weren't able to categorize your daughter in the same way. Yeah, I guess that, that was an initial, I think it's an evolving experience for me. And so subsequently, I, I have found, you know, the parents in different countries, which is, is a bit crazy. And so, you know, they, they give me an incredible amount of support when, you know, we send each other videos and like, even though the symptoms aren't necessarily the same, um, because of the way that multi related disorder the spectrum is so great. Um, I think it's just knowing that we, we can all look to support and research together because it is still, um, the answers to, to help our children are, are all come from this gene and, and we need to understand it better to help all of us. So I think that that binds us as a community. Um, so it doesn't matter what, what, where your mutation sits, but you're, you're, you're bound together by, by this condition. And so I think there's just that natural bond, uh, which you feel and people, they understand, you know, people that understand what you're going through and you don't have to explain. That's nice. You can just be silent and they can say, yeah, I know, you know. I know what a bad day looks like. I know what joy you can get that, that nobody else can experience the joy of like the simplest thing, like that you never thought your child would be able to do. And then they do it and you're like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I have gonna, that same thing. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, actually. I was going to leave that until the end, but as, as, as you said, so, so, um, you know, obviously what, what a lot of people think is, you know, it's all about, you know, kind of doing blame and the difficulties and, and, and hardships and so on. Um, but I get the impression there are some positive sides to it as well. So, you know, tell me a little bit more about what you were just saying, Anamai, about that, those moments. Um, yeah, I was trying to explain. I mean, just recently, my my little girl learned to like do Magnus House and she built this huge tower. And um, we never knew if, because she has nerve damage in the hands, so, you know, so we just never knew she'd be able to um, to do things like that. And she actually, she drew a perfect, 
be able to write um, uh, because she got this medication and it was experimental. We never knew. And so I think what it's taught me is like that there, there are no boundaries to, to, to what hope could do. Like you can hope and then you're resourceful and then don't just think there's nothing because there's always something, you know, you have to just believe and fight and things come and things can get better. And the environment for, for rare diseases, it, it's so amazing what people are doing. The research, you know, we had a research study done on Amber. It was the first ever with, with, other, with other kids that participated. And, and then we, we got a baseline and we're trying to look at more research studies um, through the work we're doing um, with the foundation. And we found the most amazing medical people who want to help us. And uh, I think then you, you feel like you gained all again. And, There are no words. No one can understand what that that means. Like in terms of, it's just unbelievable. Like I'm just so proud. I'm so proud all of right. her. all the time. I'm proud of her. Yeah. Janice, you you were nodding your head. There, so so tell me about mm -hmm. those moments. Joy. It, it's gonna seem silly, but like when I see my daughter flip a light switch on and off for the first time, I'm right. literally like jumping for joy. When I could see her following a direction, like just simply sit down at the table and she does it. I'm, I mean, I'm like, yes, you know, I, I, I can't believe she understood me because for the beginning of this, I didn't know she was even comprehending anything I said, like no direction taking nothing, you know, at the beginning of this. And I know her schools and the therapists that she works with are all part of that, you know. She has an iPad that helps her communicate um, where she can tap yes, no's and hungry and kind of stuff. And I really hope to see that further develop. So she does have a form of communication. She'll likely never talk. Um, but I mean, the understanding part, you know, and telling her to do simple commands. I, I mean, it's, it's this, I'm, I'm just my mind blown, you know, and I mean, some people or they're like she just turned the light switch on and off who cares no that's huge to me um and then maybe one day she might say i love you who knows you know but i mean i i just want you know, those little small moments that you know she's doing these things and she's able to do them it, it to me is a big milestone for her and i absolutely cherish every one of them when i see her doing that. And that's the recent thing is she's like, light switches on and off in the house. And so it could get annoying now, but when she was doing it initially, it was awesome. I was like, I can't believe she's did that. So, and the next thing I know, she's going to open doors and then shut doors. And I'm like, no, don't leave. <laughs> but they're, they're huge. Right, okay, they really are. Yeah, I can, I can imagine it's, it, it's, I mean, I'm, while you're talking, both talking there, I'm thinking, okay, well, how is this different from, you know, a child when they first take their first steps and so on? But I can see that, but, but actually, it's a lot bigger than that because you didn't necessarily have those expectations. Um, whereas, you know, for, for most kids, yeah, we, we all expect they're going to take their first steps at some point. Um, but what you seem to be saying to me is that um, because you don't know how, how they're going to develop, when they do those things, it, it's an even bigger revelation. Have I understood that correctly? And yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can comment on the first steps because Amos hasn't done her independent first steps. So, like, it, 
Yeah, if you think you take your first steps and it just happens, like, and the miracle mm-hmm. that is our bodies, we actually have the balance and the muscles, and, and then you not being able to take the first steps and like hundreds and thousands of hours of therapies and swimming, and we do all mm-hmm. we do everything that we could possibly do that's enable our, our child to be mobile because it's so important for health. You, you are mobile, um, and you know she could never like push on a on a trike and she just recently ate learned to do it yeah like oh yeah you just I already mean. like someone's done it's like a miracle I, I it is a miracle for us and it's a miracle for them and it's different it's, there are no you know, yeah. it's hard to describe the feeling it is it, you're absolutely right I just I, I I can't get my child on a tricycle I mean she will never I don't expect her to ever do it but if she does it one day, I'm going to be like you, Anna Mai. I'm just going to cry because it's like I did not expect that that would ever happen, you know. Um, but her concept of like doing that, it, it, she, she likes the spinning wheels, but she will not touch a tricycle. She won't sit on it. She won't go forward. She won't do any of that. But if she does one day, I will cry. <laughs> just say no I thought she would know you know like this is it. so yeah. much unknown so we we manage isn't it and you you can't ever get too much hope and then often, yeah. often the professionals will tell you like the worst case scenario because they don't want you to get like right you know you have to accept it you have to mourn it and you have to process it but sometimes it can be it can take away the, the need that we have like all of us to to believe in a better place or, mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, a place, I think. Well, fantastic. That's, that's a positive note to, uh, to, to end on, I think. Mm-hmm. I've kind of exhausted my question. But I would, I would just ask you both, I mean, is there anything else or anything you would like to kind of let the world know about uh, you know, living with rare disease or about your particular rare disease? I'll start with you, Candice. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um. I think like if you get that diagnosis, um, you know, for me, I think I, I wasn't expecting it, but at the same time, I mean, I didn't think it, you know, would be something that, um, I couldn't overcome. And honestly, I feel like I would like to be an advocate for her and other people more, um, you know, to be that person that someone could reach out to and say, Hey, how, how did this fare for you? That's for me, like the, the most brightest part is because I, I can share my experience with others and I don't want to be, you know, hidden in the world because if somebody else comes up with this disease and I can give insight to that, I, I absolutely want to be that person that they can reach out to and say, you know, this is a person that knows what I'm going through. Right. Um, okay. That's well, that's been the brightest point for me. Okay. Well, maybe somebody out there on this uh, podcast might set my response to that. What about you, Anna? What 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 last thoughts would you like to uh, impart to us? Um, uh, a couple of things. Like one is that I think one in ten people have a rare disease now statistically. So people need to think about rare disease as not so rare because I think if you keep saying it's rare, I think it's just that we don't have the evidence yet and we don't have the research, we don't have the studies. So I hope this is a new paradigm. I'm confident 
that in time, then we will know a lot more about, you know, there's thousands of children for sure. There's thousands of adults with MORC2 related disorder that don't know that they have it because they haven't been tested properly. So I'm a big advocate of whole genome sequencing, XM sequencing. Uh, get, you know, we know more now and let's use the science to advocate for change um, and, and ultimately um, advocate for, for a cure for our children, you know, through, through that amazing things that are happening in, in the rare disease communities. So for now, um, we are establishing more cure. It will be a foundation in the next few months. We will have a website for anyone who wants to connect with me. Um, they can directly connect through through this this website and yeah, I'll always do my best for the community. Yeah, so everyone who's living with this condition. All right, fantastic. Well, send us the link, and we can include that in the um, in the details of the podcast. Of course, yeah, I will. yeah. If we, thank if we, you. Anyway, that'd be great. Well, brilliant. That just about wraps it up. Thank you so much. Absolutely fascinating talking to both of you. Thank you for sharing so candidly. It's been it's been really good in that respect. Um, so, if you have enjoyed this podcast. Let us know. Um, are you caring for somebody with a rare disease? Do you have a carer? What would you like people to know about the challenges of caregiving? Tell us your thoughts in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to these podcasts to make sure that you don't miss out. And if you know anyone else who might like to join in the conversation, then please do send them the link. And you can also join the conversation on our Facebook group, which is called the Rare Disease Network. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Candice. Thank you, Anna Mai, for sharing your time and uh, your information with us. And we'll see you next time on Rare Together. Goodbye.